Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. We are working on Martin Ling's biography of the Prophet, may peace be upon him. All right, what chapter are we on? Uh, chapter 10. Got it. Far away. Okay, so it starts um, by saying that um, the Prophet's uncle was poor, and so Muhammad felt obliged to kind of earn his livelihood. And so he went into the pastures and pastured some sheep and some goats. Sheeps, that's not a word. Sheep and goats. And um, he also traveled with his uncle. And so they went, uh, they traveled to Syria together and they stopped at this place called Basra. And at this place, there was basically this cell there, which I didn't really understand. Was it like, what kind of a like, what's Think a cell? Think of it as a, a one person monastery. Okay. So, like, Quarters. Okay. Yeah. Like a... Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so in this cell, there were um, monks who had... Christian monks who had lived there for a long, long time. And currently, there was a monk named Bahira that yes. lived there. And so he, like other Christians, saw a prophet uh, coming as imminent. And so when... He and so he and he saw many caravans coming by his cell, but he paid um, extra close attention to this caravan because he saw something strange. Because so he saw a low hanging cloud that followed the caravan as they traveled that always kept them in the shade, and he was like, "Oh, that's odd." And then when they stopped, the cloud stopped as well, so that they were always in the shade. And then when they got out and they went to sit below this huge tree, the tree like bent over to keep them doubly in shade and he was like whoa that's wild and so he uh called them over and because he wanted to he thought maybe this is uh the prophet maybe like that's what this is that's so crazy and so he called them over and they all came except for uh muhammad because he was a little boy and they kept him with all of the uh all the stuff um, and so they came over and the monk looked at everyone and he was like, no, none of you seem right. Is there anyone that you left behind? And they said, no, no one but a little boy. And he said, well, bring him over. Why, why would you leave him? And so they brought him over. And as soon as he saw him, uh, the monk was like, oh yes, this is him. He is the prophet. And so he asked who his father was and, uh, his uncle said, I am his father. And then the monk said, no, you're not. And he was like, you're right, I'm his uncle. Um, and <laughs> then the monk asked what happened, and he told the uncle told him that um, he had died uh, before childbirth, and or shortly after, around that time. Around the time. Around the time. Um, and then when the monk asked him to take off his cloak or... Like his shirt his shirt um to look at his back he did that and he saw the mark of the prophet and he was like yes that is you cool um and he was like asking him questions about his diet and his sleep and so he was sure that uh muhammad was the prophet so that's chapter 10 um chapter 11 so this is talking about a sac religious war that um between the so basically um a man from one tribe the had murdered a man from Amir and the tribe of the the tribe of Amir attacked and the crash got involved as allies of uh, Kanana. I feel like I'm not saying that right. This one? Kinana. Kinana? Okay. Um, and so 
there was this war that uh, had lasted several years, but there were only actually five days of fighting. And so Muhammad showed his promise as he had advertising strength, but he was a really good archer. And so um, for the first battle, he just gathered enemy arrows that came onto uh, their side so that the, um, the men could gather them and uh, shoot them back over. But at one of the subsequent battles, he showed his archery skills and he um, did, he got a lot of valor for that. He was really good. And, but some people were really discontented with uh, the law of the desert and how honor demanded revenge, which was bloodshed. Because people had been traveling to the Roman Empire and they saw that people there didn't necessarily um, resolve their conflicts with bloodshed, that they could avoid that entirely. And they were like, well, why can't we do that? Um, and so one day uh, a merchant came to uh, the desert and he had he sold something but a man of um what try was it a man of Parash or it was what's the story um so the merchant sold something to a man who refused to pay the price and so then the man uh the wrong merchant appealed to the tribe of Quraysh um as a whole and there was some division between the descendants of the confederates and the scented ones yeah. um so they went to the Kaaba and they uh drank the holy water and made a vow to always stand with um the oppressed yes. um in the face of injustice um stand together and Muhammad was there um and so they they told the the man who had wronged the merchant to pay the debt because uh that was not right. Mm -hmm. um, oh, he was a Sahamite. Mm -hmm. yes. um, yeah. Okay. So that's chapter 11. Chapter 12. So, um, <laughs> so Muhammad had started earning a pretty good livelihood by traveling for merchants who couldn't travel themselves and he would take their goods and he would sell them um, when they couldn't go themselves and he had earned a pretty good livelihood from that. Uh, I just repeated everything that I just said. Very good. Um, and so um, Abu Talib had three sons, uh, Talib who was 20, Akil who was 13, and Jafar who was four. And Muhammad loved Jafar and just kids in general and he thought he was really cute, little tyke. So, and so... Jaffer. Jaffer. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Jafar, I got it. Jafar is from Latin. Yeah. yeah. I just like, I assume yep. Jaffer. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Got it. Um, <laughs> so, um, oh, and then there was another child named Fahita. Yeah. Nice. Um, and Muhammad had grown fond of her who was called Umhani. Um, and they had grown up together and they had grown really fond of her each other and he wanted to marry her but his uncle had other plans for her and she married yeah didn't see the R that I wrote um, and so he was like okay I guess that's not happening but then Khadija I'm really excited about this part <laughs> so Khadija is this wealthy merchant um, in the desert and so she had heard of uh, the one called Al-Amin which means the reliable, the honest, the trustworthy one, because mm -hmm. he had earned quite a reputation of being all of these things. And so she 
had heard of him and she uh, called him over and she offered him a really, really good price. I think double all the prices she uh, offered to other people to take her goods north. And um, he, she offered him a boy named Maysara. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he did. And again, near Basra, might have been the same cell, the same tree, but um, near the cell of a monk named Nestor, um, they they stopped and Nestor was like, who is sitting under that tree? Because the tree had, I think, bent over again to keep uh, the, them doubly in the shade. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Mesura said, uh, he's just a man from Kurash. And Nestor said, no one except for the prophet is sitting under that tree. Mm-hmm. And um, Mesura later noticed that the heat seemed so unimpressive. And he was like, what is going on? And then he realized that two angels were following them and keeping uh, Muhammad uh, always in shade. Um, So the transactions were profitable, and so he came back and everything was great. But when they returned, Khadija was only focused on the speaker rather than what actually uh, was had been transacted. That's a word, maybe? Yeah, sure. Um, And so she was focused on Muhammad himself, and after uh, after he left... Uh, she asked her friend Nufaisa, mm-hmm. Nufaisa um, to ask Muhammad on Khadija's behalf uh, to see if they could arrange a marriage because she was really interested. And she was like, all right. And so they went. Uh, she went over uh, to Muhammad and said, would you be willing uh, to marry Khadija if like all these things were settled because he had some reservations. But she said, if all these things were settled, would you be willing? And he said, yes, I'm willing. So they got married. <laughs> uh, and so... Hamza, because he was closely re- related with the Assad clan, was chosen to represent them, and he asked Amr, uh, her uncle, for her hand in marriage. Question mark. And yes. it was arranged, and they got married. Yay. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's chapter 12. Chapter 13. So um, their marriage was wonderfully blessed. Shocker. <laughs> and she... <laughs> She bore four daughters and two sons, but the sons shortly died um, after they were born. And uh, he also, Muhammad also said, Baraka? Baraka? Baraka. Wait. The slave girl. Uh, Baraka, yeah. Baraka. Um, Free, because, and she had been really loyal, and she had been um, a really loyal slave all throughout his life. And so he set her free. And she married a man from Yathrib, um, and they had a son, Ayman. And so uh, Khadija gave him one of uh, her slaves named Zaid. Sure. Um, and so Zaid was really proud of his an- an- uh, ancestry. His father was of Kalb and mother of Tai? Tai? Tai, yeah. Tai. Um, and so. He, basically, he was, like, captured, and he was sold into slavery, and he um, was sold to Khadija, who then uh, gave him to Muhammad. And um, so, during the pilgrimage, uh, Calbites came to the, came to Mecca, and um, Zaid was kind of conflicted because he was like, I really want to stay here. Um, because I'm in one of the most noble families, but I also should probably tell my parents where I am, you know. And so he wrote this poem and basically said that, 
um, don't grieve over me, don't worry about me, I am in one of the most noble families um, in all the land, and uh, God is on my side, and all of that, and so he gave that to the Calbites, and then they, upon returning home, uh, told this to his parents, um, but his father and his uncle came to Mecca uh, to beg Muhammad to let them ransom Zaid, and uh, because they weren't just happy with this. They wanted him back um, because they were like, you're in slavery, that can't be fun, you should come home. Yeah. Um, but And so Muhammad said, okay, let him choose. And so if he wants to go with you, then by all means, you know, he can go with you. And if he wants to stay with me, then he'll stay with me. Yeah. Um, and so Zaid chose Muhammad. He chose to stay. And um, they were really confused. They were like, you would rather stay a slave than come with us. And he was like, I have never met anyone in my life like this man, he's really great. Um, basically, I really love him. He's a great guy, and so they were like, "All right, that's weird, but you know, you do you." And so from then on, Muhammad called Zaid his son, and so he was called Zaid ibn Muhammad, um, and he was freed, um, and he had honor and all of that because he was now Muhammad's son. So then it basically talks about um, the other members of the household who Muhammad was close to. Uh, Safia, who was Muhammad's aunt, visited frequently with her son Zubair. Um, and Halima visited her, his like mother, uh, foster mother, that's the word. Um, and Khadija was really generous to her, and she gave her sheep, uh, a lot of sheep and a camel during um, a really severe drought, and uh, Halima was really grateful for that. And um, they, so Muhammad and his cousin, brother, Abbas, Abbas? Uh, uh, uncle. Uncle. Um, basically realized that Abu Talib wasn't doing too good on uh, money, and so they were like, all right, let's help him out until things get better. Um, and so Abbas. 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 Uh, was like, okay, yeah, sounds good. And so Abbas agreed to take care of Jafar. <laughs> nice. Jaffer. Um, and Muhammad uh, would take care of Ali um, until circumstances financially improved for Abu Talib uh, because he couldn't support all of his sons. And so he kept his uh, other two sons. And so um, at this point, Ali, Zainab, Fatima, Rukaya, um, Zaid, and Um Kulthum, yeah. Kulthum, uh were the immediate family of Muhammad and Khadija. And so uh, Abu Lahab proposed that Rukaya and Um Kulthum should marry his sons, Utba and Uteba. Uteba? Mm. Um, and so they got married, and um, Um Ayman, who is Baraka, um, came back into the picture, and Muhammad sometimes called her mother because they had a really good bond. So, yeah. Okay. Very good. So that brings us to, uh, for next time, uh, chapter 14? Yes. What do you think uh, about a couple things? What do you think about all the miraculous things happening around him? What do I, like, they're, they're pretty cool. <laughs> do you believe them? Um, let me think about that. Right. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I, when I was in um, Arabic, um, Ustada said, because we were talking about Moses and how the Red Sea parted, uh -huh. and he said, and she said, 
the world impossible, the word impossible doesn't exist for God because right. there is no impossible for the creator of all things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in that sense, like obviously the God can do whatever he wants to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah. Right. Yeah, that's a good way to frame it, that if I already believe in God, then I'm also believing anything is possible. Right. In terms of how to place that in terms of belief itself, think of those miracles as secondary. Okay. Meaning, if they didn't happen, it actually doesn't change belief. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Another interesting thing that I find is when we go through the story, it doesn't look like anyone's telling you know Muhammad himself, peace be upon him, that this stuff is happening. It's all like sort of happening right behind him or right above him, mm-hmm. um, but and everyone else is noticing, but it doesn't seem that he's noticing. Mm-hmm. I think that's really fascinating. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, next question. What do you think about the slaves or the fact of slaves? Um, well, I took Latin in school, and yeah. so we learned about uh, the Roman, the Romans, and their slavery system. And uh-huh. so when I think of slavery, I don't really think of it in the American way. I think of it more yeah. in that way. So it's not. Yeah, in the in the time of the prophet peace be upon him, there's multiple levels of servitude. Uh, so one is where uh, uh, people, and we're going to use a generic term "slave" for all of this, were bought and sold. Mm-hmm. Uh, yet their identity was always maintained. Um, another is where it was the responsibility of this tribe to take care of this other elite tribe. And so families would get assigned to families, and this family would take care of that other elite family. That's still very present in a lot of the Muslim world today, where you'll have this family. Their full-time job is to take care of this family, cooking, cleaning, even raising the kids, educating the kids, all that stuff. Um, uh, Another is in the context of war, where uh, the prisoners of war, they didn't have prisons, uh, would be put into servitude. And in some cases, their wives would be put into servitude, and uh, or they would be taken as uh, taken in as concubines, mm-hmm. and so all this is part of that that mix of different levels or different types of servitude. Concubines is basically it's it's almost like saying a sex slave, meaning that what's in that culture at the time is that all right, if these two tribes go to war, this tribe wins, they can take the wives of the conquered tribe or you know the 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 of the of the prisoners in as their own servants and what's also part of this what's understood is that uh, sexual relations be part of that you know uh is that rape uh that would be a question because i think in our uh mindset it sounds exactly like rape in what little i've researched it and i haven't researched it much only because it's not relevant for uh, life as a Muslim in Chicago in 2019, not even remotely relevant, but mm-hmm. it seems to me as though that was the culture of the time, which means by definition it's automatically consensual, uh, but I'm not even going to go that far. I'm just saying what it seems to be the case. Okay. Uh, what do you think about the plight of women in the story? You seem to like Khadija quite a bit. Yeah, I, I learned about Khadija from um, my best friends back at home, and I don't know, the way that uh, they framed it and how she's, like, this, like, really wealthy merchant uh-huh. who asked him to marry her. Like, yeah. I was like, okay, go, girl. Like, that's, <laughs> like, you can't say that Islam is not about female empowerment uh-huh. and about, you know, 
women doing things for themselves. Like, she had her own business. She was, like, the CEO. Mm -hmm. That's how someone described her. She was the CEO Mm -hmm. of her own business, her own company, um, merchant business. And so, yeah, she's really cool. Um, So I think that, like, but I I don't know. What? It's more complicated because on the one hand, like, yes, she was doing it, but, like, it does... I mean, even though it was the culture of the time for, like, women and also men to get, like, arranged to marry and, like, it was kind of... I don't know. I, I guess, like, it just seemed... It just seemed very patriarchal, but, like, that's mm-hmm. just kind of how it was and, like, mm-hmm. you know, so... We will see absolutely more of that because... We haven't talked about female infanticide yet, have we? No, but I know okay. that is. So that will be a part of the story as well, which will also make Khadija and many of the women uh, all the more interesting. And so so essentially what I'm saying is that the environment that the Prophet is in, peace be upon him, is about as patriarchal as someone can possibly imagine. For all the patriarchy we have in America, uh, it doesn't seem to hold a candle to the environment that the Prophet has been placed in. But we'll see more of that, inshallah. Yeah. But then he stopped that tradition? Well, we'll wait and see. Okay. <laughs> uh, I think that's everything else for now, inshallah. Uh, what you're going to see little by little is that the names are going to increase to the point that it's going to almost seem overwhelming. But then it's going to really decrease and you're going to really see the names that you need to know. And so, <laughs> so do your best with them, but don't, feel, don't, don't fret if you're forgetting them or anything like that. Okay. So, yeah. At the end of chapter 13, it just said, like, a whole bunch of names, and I wasn't sure which yeah, ones. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, you'll intuitively get a sense, but this, the book will also focus on people. But an easy way to figure it out is who seems to be closest to Muhammad either, peace be upon him, either in support or hostility. Okay. And those will be the names that you'll intuitively will figure out are those to pay attention to. Okay. <clears throat> okay, very good. We'll stop right here, inshallah. Any last questions about anything? I think so.